Hi, I'm Pastor Isaac, lead pastor of Shore Christian Church, and you're about to watch a sermon from our newest series, Stretch Marks. And this series is going to show you and teach you through the Word of God how to stretch your faith beyond what you think is possible. I hope this sermon blesses you, and if it does, uh, please send us an email. We love to hear from people that are touched by the sermons at Shore Christian Church. And also, if you want to give financially, you could do so on the link provided uh, so we could continue to, to do the Lord's work and get these sermons out to the people that need it the most. Thank you and enjoy. All right, here we go. Part three of the Stretch Marks series. Uh, just a little uh, preview next week. We're going to be doing an illustrated sermon based off of the game show, Deal or No Deal. And it's going to be awesome. I hope. I hope it's, I, I don't go too far with my creativity, uh, but I, I feel like it's really going to minister to you. But this week, uh, we're going to be looking at part three in our Stretch Marks series. Uh, and we uh, are going to go to the book of Exodus, book of Exodus, and look at the people of God and their faith being stretched as they're going into uh, a place, going into a season that they never experienced before. They were in slavery and bondage for over 400 years, generations after generations after generations. They were uh, in Egyptian slavery, uh, forced to, to limit their thinking, forced to limit what God, uh, they believed God could do in their life. And now they've finally been set free by this man. His name was Moses. He's known as the deliverer of God's people. And we see that he is a picture of Jesus in the New Testament, the ultimate deliverer of God's people. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh, and after 10 plagues, finally Pharaoh lets God's people go. Yeah, anyone remember the old, uh, you know, who was the guy that was in it, the, the famous actor, Joe? Charlton Heston, you know, with the Ten Commandments, and he gets angry and throws them and all that stuff. Uh, so that's the story that we're going to be looking at. Uh, Exodus chapter 13, verse 11. So getting ready to go into the promised land is, is what they, they call it. And it says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter. Okay. I thought you were efficient, God. No. He's a crockpot God. Not a microwave, God. And to be honest, I like things out of the crock pot better than the microwave. Do I hear an amen? It just tastes better, right? It's better cooked, right? I want, I want some, some, some good sausage cooked in the oven rather than the, I don't want any microwave sausage, right? You know, I want the, all right, move on. <laughs> stupid, Isaac, stupid. All right, here we go. Even though it was shorter. For God said, if they face war, see, God knows. They might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people on the roundabout way through the wilderness and the desert road toward a dead end, the Red Sea. And the Israelites, God, you're not doing a good job here. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Uh, and then verse 21, uh, by day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left the place in front of the people. And then it says, as they were on their way pursuing the promised land, they heard the footsteps of the chariots of the Egyptians behind them. And suddenly they're in front of the Red Sea that God led them into, and they have the Egyptians coming after them from behind to try and overtake them. Pharaoh had a change of heart. Uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for your presence. Pray that you will help me 
to preach this word in a new way, different way than I preached it the previous sermon, Word God, that you will meet us where we're at. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I didn't give you the title of my sermon. That was bad on me. I should have done that. The title of this morning's sermon, and I got it uh, from an LL Cool J song. Um, Actually, you know what? Let me let LL Cool J tell you the title of this morning's song, if we could take it away. Where are my 90s people at? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's hear it for LL Cool J. All right, so the title of my sermon, tweaked it a little bit, is Don't Call It a Comeback, Because He Never Left. Say that with me. Don't call it a comeback, because he never left. And that, that was something that I used to say um, back in the, you know, the courtyard of Belmar when I used to, you know, ball in Belmar streets, basketball. We would always, you know, we'd have games and everything, and you play three on three or whatever. Thank you, Nicole. Any Belmar basketball crew? Anyone, anyone in the house? Uh, a couple people. Uh, got, games got really nasty. Those Belmar people are, are, you know, rough people over there in bougie Belmar. And, and so <laughs> as I, I remember, we, we'd be playing basketball, and, and what we would always say was, you know, if... If you were down and then you would, you would start to, to make your way back, we would always say, don't call it a comeback. Don't call it because the, the idea was that it's not a comeback because I had you the whole way. Don't think I ever, you know, I, I had you the whole time. I was just playing. I do it playing ping pong with people, you know, and, and sometimes I let them get ahead a little bit. And, and then I, I always say they get a little cocky and I'm like, don't call it a comeback. Because I had you the whole time, brother. Don't think that you, you were up by 10. I let you get up by 10, BT-dub. And, and so don't call it a comeback because I never left. And, and, and a lot of us, uh, we're, we're, we're in the process of a comeback. Kind of like, like the, the Israelites in this passage. For 400 plus years, they were in slavery. They were in bondage. And then finally, they inhale the breath of freedom for the first time. Imagine how that would feel. For the first time, the chains are gone, and finally you are in a moment of freedom where Moses, your man, is leading you to what God calls the promised land. Uh, it, it's this land that was flowing with milk and honey, the Bible says. If you don't understand Bible context, just let this speak to wherever education level you are. God will do the rest. Uh, the promised land is, is where you believe God is taking you. It, it's, it's the promise and destiny that God placed inside of you the day that you were born. Uh, I believe it's a lot easier for people that don't know a lot about the Bible to hear from God than people that think they know everything about the Bible to hear from the Lord. So don't feel intimidated. And, and so they're on their way to the promised land. And then all of a sudden, God takes them on a journey. I found for a lot of people that it is easier to live in the predictability of bondage than the uncertainty of freedom. I found that that is so evident in so many people's lives. I've you know, met people who were in dysfunctional families growing up and all that they've ever had was toxic relationships, uh, maybe a woman, that all, all you ever had was, was a man that, that verbally abused you, 
or, or treated you not the way you deserve. And then finally, a man treats you the way that you do deserve, but you can't even embrace it. It makes you feel uncomfortable because it's, it's something you never experienced before. Uh, so often people, uh, be in, in a certain type of way you talk, the way you speak, the type of people that you're around, you're so comfortable around the people that you are in bondage with your whole life that when you have an opportunity for freedom, you run back to who you used to be because it's uncomfortable. It takes you to stretch your faith. A lot of us, stretching our faith is challenging. A lot of us growing up is challenging. A lot of us having kids that are growing up is challenging. It's stages. I was very excited this uh, past week. Um, and and Lily, Lily's really growing up. My daughter, she's five. She's wearing makeup now. You could blame her mother for that. Like, what is on your lips? Oh, it's mommy's makeup. Mommy's what, Diamond? We're putting makeup on a five-year-old? Eyelashes. Eye, I mean, I mean, it's so... <laughs> only for dance recitals, yeah. Dance recital felt like an eternity. <laughs> Shout out to all the husbands out there going to dance recitals. <laughs> and, and so Lily's growing up so fast, and so I thought... Um, you know, it, it would be good for me to, to tie the knot with her before another man could get, you know, her eye. So uh, I was really excited. This week I proposed to Lily. And she said yes. I got her ring and everything. We went to Pandora, got her ring. She said yes. And, and she's, we're, we're, we're very, very close. And she promises me that she's going to marry me one day when she gets older. I said, what's older? I don't know, like 100. I'm like, man. All right, I got a long time to wait, but she's mine. She's mine. And so every night before she goes to bed, um, I, uh, I tuck her in. And, and uh, anyone can relate to, like, the routines of, like, putting your kids to bed, especially five-year-olds. Like, there's always some kind of routine. Uh, Judah does, isn't so bad, but Lily is really, really bad with her routine uh, because it's all, like, a verbal routine. You have to say the exact words perfectly, or you have to repeat the routine, and you could literally be in there till midnight trying to repeat this routine with, look, is this, this is what it is. You have to say, I hope I get it right. Um, you know, I tuck her in, and I, I have to say, um, uh, I put my head on her, on, her, on her lap first, and then she plays with my hair and says, you're so handsome, daddy, which I love that part. And then, and then right after that, um, I, I pray for her, and I have to pray a certain way. I have to make sure in the prayer I say, the angels surround you. Um, Jesus loves you, and then we do this thing called kiss, hug, and love, and uh, you have to do the hug, but you, it, it can't be too hard. It's got to be a gentle hug, and then a kiss, uh, and then love, and love is weird. Love is just like we kind of rub our foreheads together. Not a big fan of love. I got like rug burn from it a few times, uh, and then right after that, you, you have to repeat the whole prayer again. The angel surrounds you. I love you forever in all my heart. Aw. It's cute, right? The first 35 times. But then after a while, it's not cute anymore. After like the 50th time, Lily, it's not cute anymore because it's, you got to grow up a little bit, don't you? You know, like, like we can't keep doing this. And I, I thought, you know, with that, I should preach a sermon called, you would like this, Carl, it's not cute anymore. Because as a pastor, there's some things that you guys do that are not cute anymore. Like you've been coming here for 15 years and you're still texting and sending emails on your phone during a service. It's not cute anymore, homie. 
I thought you said in the last sermon that it's a process, Pastor. Yeah, but the process has to have progress or it's a worthless process. Do I hear an amen? So, so some of you, you need to start making some progress. It's not cute anymore. 15 years you've held this grudge and you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're still a victim. It's not cute anymore. Been coming to church for 10 years and you still come in here angry and throw a temper tanner because somebody sat in your seat. It's not cute anymore, front row. Preaching to those, 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 you know, long, short Christian church folk. It's not cute anymore. Some things you got to grow up with. Some things you got to mature with. It's not cute anymore when all you want is compassion and never correction. But in fact, it's the correction that is the compassion in disguise. Because we serve a loving God that doesn't want you to burn your hand on the fire. So he'll use correction because he's compassionate. And success only comes when you begin to stretch your faith and stretch yourself. 400 years of bondage. Two million Israelites finally coming out of Egypt. And this is what uh, Moses says to them. This is what God speaks to, to Moses in Exodus chapter 14. He says, when, when Pharaoh let the people of God go, he did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country. Okay, though it was shorter. Okay, all right, was there construction? What was the deal? For God said if they faced war, they might change their mind. So God led them a different way. God and his promise a lot of times can be confusing. It seems simple. Come out of Egypt and into the promised land. Out of, into and this is just a picture of what it should have been. This is, this is the, the simple, it would have been like an like a eight-week journey right there. They could have just went straight in on the, the way of the Philistines. So simple, so easy. That's the way I would have went. That's probably the way that you would have went, but that's not the way that God took them. God, it says, led them a roundabout way. And this was the way that, that God took them. Does that remind you of your life at all? <laughs> like, God, I need to get there. Why are you taking me down here to the Red Sea? I, like, what? I, I'm, it's a roundabout way. It doesn't make any sense, God. Why are you doing this? I, I found it interesting how it took them one day to get out of Egypt but it took them 40 days, I'm sorry, 40 years for Egypt to get out of them. And the same is true with us, isn't it? That it takes one day, one moment for you to be saved. But man, that old residue of who you used to be, you know it all, your pride, all, all those temptations of, that used to grip you, man, it takes a while to get Egypt out of you. And God is long-suffering, and God is patient so that none will perish, but all will come to repentance. So God will be patient with you because before you come into the promised land, he wants to make sure he gets all of Egypt out of you, all of that residue so that he can begin to fill you with what you need when you come into your promised land. Why do I sound so passionate when I talk about this um, is because I feel like I know to some degree what it's like to be on a, a roundabout way. Um, I'm 34 years old. 
I was ordained to be a pastor in 2009, and for over seven years, I thought I was going to get to preach to crowds right away. I thought that I was going to get speaking engagements right away. I thought I was going to be able to preach with no notes right away. I thought I could go right in to what God had promised me when he called me out of my sin and out of my shame, and I gave my life to him, and I said, I want you to use me. I want to be a pastor. I want to be a leader. I want to be a vessel for you to bring your love through. I want to be a preacher. And I got ordained, but a lot of times just because you're ordained doesn't mean that you're a pastor. So a lot of pastors out there that have the name, but they're not a pastor. And I, I remember I got ordained, but I wasn't a pastor. And I, I, I preached for seven years. I did the math last night. Seven years, preached on over 500 sermons to the same 35 people every single week. And they're all sitting right here. <laughs> Seven straight, and I, I would set all this up. I, <laughs> I drove the box truck on days when it was snowing outside, and that sucker wouldn't start, and it's a diesel. And then I had to go to Wawa and get some ether and just shove all the ether in the fuel injector, praying that the box truck would start. And it's freezing, and my hands are freezing, and I'm not a mechanic, and I got oil all over my church clothes. And then finally I get the box truck to start, and then I start going up the hill, and I don't even make it up the hill. I got traffic behind me. I got police coming up. What are you doing? I'm like, I'm a pastor, I think. <laughs> what am I doing? I'm on the roundabout way, seven years. But in that seven years, I'll tell you what I learned to do. I learned to preach with passion when there is no people. For seven years, I learned how to preach my guts out in front of the same people every single week with no progress. I want to ask you, can you be passionate even when there's no progress? Can you be passionate even when there's no audience, even when there's no one around you cheering you on? Can you be passionate even when you're still at the $10 an hour job and you know that you're more qualified to be than where you're at right now? Can you have passion in the process? Because if you cannot have victory in private, you will never have victory in public. And, and I learned it was the moments when I would go to the office by myself. Now I, I, I sit every Tuesday. I have a staff of 10 people. They're amazing. Every ministry has a leader. I remember uh, I, I would be the only one there. Every single day I would get out. I would go into the office. Diamond would say, what are you doing? And I'd be like, I really don't even know. But I'm going. And, 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 and you know what? Those were the times I grew and had the greatest victories that nobody saw. It made me think of, of David. We know David as killing Goliath, right? David killed Goliath in front of thousands of people. 
It was his coming out party. Everyone saw it. The entire nation of Israel saw it. David was the one that completely defeated the Philistines, the ones that God knew that they weren't prepared to fight in this passage in Exodus chapter 13. And David slew Goliath. They, they loved him. They praised him. They made him king. But the reason he was able to kill Goliath in public was because of what he was able to conquer in private. When he said, when no one was around, I killed a lion and I killed a bear. And the same God that delivered me from the lion and the bear will deliver me from this giant Goliath because he's the same God. But you'll never see victory in public till first you have victory in private. Private. Nobody's around. Nobody's there to cheer you on. You feel alone. You feel abandoned. You want to go right into your destiny. You want to go right there. I want to go right there. But God doesn't take you right, he takes you left. And you feel left. You feel abandoned and you feel forsaken. You feel like nobody cares about you, you feel rejected. A lot of times, <laughs> through the Apostle Paul in the New Testament we see, the Apostle Paul, when he was this guy by the name of Saul, he was a very successful temple leader. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he said. And then he had this experience where Jesus appeared to him, knocked him off of a donkey. And, and he had this incredible moment where, where he saw the grace of God and he saw uh, what God wanted him to do. He said in Galatians chapter 1, go on to the next one. But I did not go to Jerusalem to see those who were the apostles before I was. But I went into the Arabian desert. And after three years... We read over that scripture so often. We think the, the apostle Paul went right into preaching, went right into to, to writing the New Testament. But God says, before I take you right, I got to take you left. Before I launch you forward, I got to pull you back. It's what I call the slingshot anointing that can only come through a season where you feel abandoned, where you feel rejected, where you feel completely forsaken by God and by people, and you feel like you're going in the wrong direction, God is pulling you back so that he could launch you forward. I, I know about this, as I mentioned before, and, and I, I, feel like, I feel like a lot of people in here can relate to this. Who feels like maybe they've been on a roundabout way in their life? Who feels like maybe you're, you're there right now? It's okay, yeah. Someone's like, <laughs> I got x-ray vision. If I can't see you, God can. And he knows. He knows that you're on a roundabout way. And I remember when I was on my roundabout way, there was a lesson that I learned. And it's what God speaks to us when we're on our roundabout way. And this is, this is my first point. When you're doing it, when you feel like you're going in circles and not seeing any progress, number one, from our friend LL Cool J, he says, don't call it. Don't call it. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't call it. Don't call it. And so I, I remember when I was on my, my roundabout journey, seven years, uh, it was hard. It was, it was very, very difficult when you're working very, very hard and you're not seeing any progress. And it's not like it was one year or two years or three I, I preached in, I counted it, nine different buildings 
Our church was in nine different buildings before we, we, we got here. I mean, we averaged uh, multiple buildings a year. I mean, we, we literally were like the uh, Israelites, you know, follow the cloud wherever it goes. Is it in Bricktown? Is it in here? Like, like wherever you go. And, and it, it was very, very hard for, for me. Um, and there were opportunities that I had, opportunities that I had to um, start my own ministry, opportunities to, to join another ministry, uh, opportunities to make more money, and I'm not going to get emotional in this service. I did in the first service because um, I realized how evil our adversary is and how so often when we're in the wilderness, that's when the whispers will come. You'll be better off somewhere else. You're not appreciated there. Go find another opportunity where they'll pay you more money. And I, I remember hearing all those voices, and like there were moments when Diamond and I, we would be like, like very close, like what are we doing? Like we're, I'm, I'm living, and I'll just be honest, my mom's here, I love you mom. She knows I love her, but this is real life. This is what we go through. I'm living in my parents' basement. What is going on? It's been seven years. Maybe it's time for me to just call it and move on. This is, this is no, no progress here. And we had serious conversations and uh, we went and talked with a trusted friend. I, I wanna tell you this, remember this. Be very careful who you give your ear to when you are in a roundabout way. Because Satan loves and he uses people. He uses good people. I, I, and I'm not trying to bring condemnation on anybody, but I'm saying that you need to be very careful who you trust and listen to and get your advice when you're on a roundabout way, getting ready to call it and make a big decision. Never make a big decision on your own. Please hear your pastor. Get trusted friends around you that will confirm a big decision that you're making in your life, a directional change, a geographical change. Don't do it on your own. And I was wise enough not to do it on my own. And I, I met with my friend, he's in New York City, a pastoral friend, his name is Pastor Brad Reed of the New York Dream Center. And I, I didn't feel, feel comfortable sharing this with anyone, you know, in, in our church, I felt like I needed a friend outside of our church. And I, I shared with him and, and he understood, you know, um, and, and he, this is what he said to me. He said, whatever you do, don't ever have a cloudy start. And when he said that, it was like all of a sudden, I had clarity of where I had to stick it out, where I had to be in order to receive and go into the promised land that God was gonna take me into and this church into. And from that moment when I said, you know, no matter how bad it gets, I'm not gonna call it. I'm here. I don't care how many times around this wilderness and around this desert I have to go. I am where God called me to be. And so many of you, 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 you're, call, you're calling it for what it is. It's, it looks like it's over. Because when you're in a desert, you don't know when or if it's ever gonna be over. I, I don't know if you've ever been there when you don't know when this is gonna end or if it's ever gonna end. That's, that, that's how you know you're in a desert, in a wilderness, on a roundabout way. Like for, I'll give you an example, not to say a name, but I feel like a lot of people can relate. There's a, a, a dear family member that Diamond and I have that won't even return our text messages. Pray for that person every single day, wants nothing to do with us. And then, you know, you find out that that person is not only not returning your text messages, but they're talking behind your back. And you don't know if this is ever gonna be reconciled. You're, you're in a desert and, and you don't know if you're ever gonna get out of debt and feel like it's just bankruptcy or maybe win the lottery. That's it. 
I, I, I feel like my, that my marriage is never, ever going to get to where I dreamed it would be. And I have tried and tried, but if this person doesn't budge, then I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I got to call it for what it is. It's over. And I would tell you this as a pastor and as just as a human being. People that you want to listen to when you're getting ready to call it are people that were in the same place as you, but didn't call it, but made it through the roundabout way and can encourage you and build you up and not pull you down. Get around people that will lift you up when you feel like giving up, when you feel like calling it, that could say, you know what, I was there, I know what it feels like. But you know what, God is faithful. God is a good God. And if God said it, he's gonna finish it. And you just gotta keep praying for that person. And you gotta just keep loving that person and believing the best and keep serving. I'm telling you, if you don't call it when you're in the middle, God will bring you out. He's working out something in your life right now. He is preparing you for what he has already prepared for you. And if you give up in the middle, imagine if I gave up in the middle, how many lives I would have not been able to reach the broken the pain that my dysfunction would have caused so many people if I didn't stick it out in the middle. And the same is true for you. It's so often to think it's so much easier just to give up and have a clean start. But you know what's going to happen when you give up and have a clean start? The same exact thing that's happened to you now. Might as well walk through the desert now than do it over and over and over and over again your entire life. You've got to press through. Press into God more now than you've ever have before. And stay on that route. I don't understand this route. That's my second point is, number one, don't call it. Number two, <laughs> a comeback. A comeback. Uh, where, where are my volunteers? My volunteers. I got, I, got, oh, I got two football players for this service. This is awesome. All right, get up here. Chris, David, come on, I thought football players move faster than that. Come on, let's, 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 I got to be nice. These guys will beat me down. <laughs> what's up, guys? So, so this, is, this is David. David uh, plays football at uh, Cutstown State, uh, defensive end, right? And uh, this is my boy, Chris. Chris, uh, he played football at Liberty University. You were, a, you were a safety. It was a safety. So these guys will let you up defensive guys. And these are my boys. So if you ever think that you could lay a hand on me, I have the biggest boys. I know I'm 165 pounds soaking wet, but it's who's behind me that matters. <laughs> and, and so football, um, so you're, you're Eagles fan? All right. All right. Eagles, football, football season, big day, big day. I don't, Raiders or something. Yeah. God bless you. Yeah. You're worse than the Jets. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so it's, it's this is football season now, right? Uh, big day. Everyone's watching football. So I thought I'd do a football analogy uh, for this. Uh, one of the, I, I don't want to say one of, probably the greatest wide receiver who ever lived was, was who? Jerry Rice, right? It's got to be Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice was unbelievable, owns all the records, uh, touchdowns, yards, completions, everything. Played until he was in his 40s. He was incredible. And, and most people would think if you're going to be a great wide receiver, you, you, you need speed. Like, like, because speed, that's what gets in the end zone, right? Because the goal of football is to what? Score points. I got to get in the end zone. And, and the, the, the best way to get in the end zone is going from point A to point B. Because that's what I want to do. 
I, I want to run, and I want to get there as fast as I can. Uh, but unfortunately, there's something in football called the defense that does not want you to get into the end zone, that knows where you want to go, and they're going to cover the places that you want to go. And, and so what Jerry Rice said, because did you know he wasn't that fast? He ran a, a 4.71, 40. That's not, that's, not, that's not fast for a professional wide receiver, but he was the greatest ever. So they asked Jerry this. They said, Jerry, how were you able to do this? This is what he said. God, Jerry Rice was a preacher. He didn't even know it. He said, I wasn't the fastest from point A to point B, but what made me great was I knew how to run my route. I should preach next week on run your route. <laughs> I knew how to run my route. My quarterback knew where I was going to be so he could deliver the ball. You got to be in the right spot in order to reach your goal. God is not interested in your obedience. I'm sorry, God is not interested in how fast you get there, but he's interested in your obedience in the process. And so uh, what I want to show you guys real fast, because I'm running out of time, um, is uh, um, you guys look menacing. No, you know, I'm just kidding. Uh, so you, you, you play defense. You play defense this time, okay? All right, all right. So, so David is going to be the defensive back, all right? He's going to be the defender, all right? And so, so Chris, you're going to be the wide receiver, all right? The objective is we want to get in the end zone, which is the piano stand, okay? Uh, no one's going to get hurt, okay? I promise. And, and so what, what happens is a lot of times, here, take it slow. You know, he's, go, he's going out. He's running around, but he's covered. He's covered. But in order to create a window of opportunity, he has to what? He's got to come, come back. He's got to come back because if, if I threw the ball when he was covered, it would be intercepted. So he has to come in the wrong direction in order to catch and receive the ball that I want to throw him. You guys seem confused. Are you okay? Is this, is this too much for you? I know it's very complicated. Uh, but but let, let's do it. Let's do it like real time. Are you ready? Are you ready? Real time? All right, start right there. All right, so this is what I'm going to do. We're, we're, we're going go, to go come back on to, I'm going to hit you with the word of God. Don't drop it or you're going to go to hell. All right, ready? Set. Hut! Hut! Come, come back and then... And then and then he can, he can score. I like that. I want to do that one more time. I want to do that one more time. All right? All right? Let, let, let's see that because I want to make sure you guys get this because a lot of times we, we think it's how fast we get there. But you know what? If, if I was to throw that pass, it would get intercepted. A lot of times God wants to throw you something, wants to give you something, wants to bless you with something. But if he was to give it to you, it would get intercepted because you're not ready for it yet. You still got Egypt inside of you. You, you, want, you want a husband so bad, so bad, I want it so bad. But if God was to give you the husband, you don't know what to do with it. You'd break it. You'd be like, like Tommy Boy with like the, the, the muffin. You know, it's so cute. And then you just, ah, because you're not ready. <laughs> so you got to come back. All right, let's do that one more time. On two. Ready, set, we go out, out, and then you got you to come back, get, get it, and then take it to the house, and then touch down Jesus. Yeah, that's what I'm talking because all the glory comes to God. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate that. That was awesome. And so I want you to know, if you feel like you're going in the wrong direction, just say, it's all right. It's a comeback. It's a comeback. And, and you know what? God is long-suffering, and I may feel like I'm going the roundabout way, but I'm going to stay on my route. Because I'm, I'm a route runner. I'm a God route runner. And he might have to call a few audibles and say, you know what? 
you can't go in right away, but come back so I could hit you with a calling. Number three, don't call it a comeback. The number three is my favorite. LL Cool J says, because I've been here for years, I want to change that a little bit and say, because I never left. Because I don't call it a comeback, because I never left. Exodus chapter 14 says that there was a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. And wherever they went, that cloud, the presence of God, was with them. That my security comes, even if I have to go backwards, even if I have to go in a roundabout way, even if this has to go for seven years, but my identity, my security comes from who is with me. And you don't have to call a comeback because he never left. Let me just tell you something about my God. My God doesn't come back. He's always ahead. When you're the creator of the universe, you don't have to come back. I hate it when people say, oh, we need, we need Jesus to come back. We need God to come back in this country. I, I get it. But he never left. He ne he's been with us everywhere we've gone. We just haven't been aware of it is the problem. We need to say we need more of an awareness to who Christ is. We need more of an awareness of how much Jesus loves us. We need an awareness because our, our disobedience doesn't change the fact that he's never left. We just got to open our eyes and see it. And, and so many people are, you know, we need Jesus to come back. This world's going to hell. The Antichrist is taking over. If I see someone else write another book on who the Antichrist is, Hopefully there's no authors in here. You're not coming back next week. But my, come on. Jesus, save us. The whole idea of salvation was not an evacuation plan. It was a rescue mission. It wasn't to get us out, but for God to come in. And, and you know what? We say, God, come back. And he's saying to us, I never left you in the first place. You never got a revelation of the first time I came back. And that's why I'm not coming back a second time until you get a revelation of the first time I came. Come on. So I don't have to be scared of anything. Because greater is he that is in me. And he's with me wherever I go than anything in this world. Jesus, when he was on the cross, I just want to tell somebody that it's better than you think it is. God's grace and who he is is so much better than you've been taught. So much better than what other people have told you. It says that Jesus, with his last dying breath, he walks down the Via Della Rosa. He's carrying a cross, roundabout way. And he's on the cross, and he has a thief on his right, and a thief on his left. These people deserved it. BT Dub, that's me. <laughs> I'm the thief on the cross. And, and one of the, the thieves on the cross said to, says to him, Jesus, if you're the son of God, get us down out of here. It's got, he, he's just cursing him. And, and, and he's angry, prideful. Then the other one on the left says, Jesus, will you remember me? 
his last dying breath. His whole life he lived like hell. His whole life he was just a horrible, bad person. And then with his last dying breath, he just says, Jesus, remember me. You are the son of God. And, and in that moment, Jesus says to him, man, I am going to see you in heaven for all of eternity. That's the love of God. I don't understand how he could save such a hardened criminal. And then in his last breath, all of a sudden, he's going to the same heaven as me. The reason I can't understand that is because I got a better view of myself than I should. Because I am just as sinful as anybody else. And I need the same grace of God that, that anybody else needs. And I'm going to the same heaven as you. That's how amazing it is. And he says to him, I will be with you in paradise. And a lot of times that's how we look at Jesus. He will be with me in paradise. That's a great promise. Here's a better one. I'm not just going to be with you in paradise. But I'm going to be with you in the process. I'm going to be with you in the middle of your roundabout way that you're going through right now. Salvation isn't some far off thing. Salvation is about Christ coming to us today, now. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And when God is with you, you have the ability to come back from anything in your life because he never left you. And, and how do I know this? Because every story in the Bible is about Christ coming in the middle of the fire, in the middle of the storm. He wasn't just with the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. He wasn't just with the Israelites when they got into the promised land, but he was with them in the roundabout way. Where is Jesus? Jesus is in the middle. That's where he is. He's the great I am. That's who he is. He's with me today. And we think it's all about our past and all about where we're going. And, and right now, I got to figure this out myself. The same grace that saved you is the same grace that is going to sustain you. Some of you, you have been beating yourself up with condemnation, thinking somehow if you do better, if I'm a better person, if I change my ways, then somehow maybe I'll have the grace of God in my life. Jesus loves you more than you think he does. You are more forgiven than you think you are. And you are far more evil than you think you are as well. And a lot of us, that's our problem. We think we're better than we really are. Let's just stand to our feet right now. Don't call it. Don't call it a comeback. Because he never left. Everyone here, if we could just reverence in, in the balcony, workers, let's just bow our heads right now. You know if this message was for you. And you're on the roundabout way of life. And there are so many whispers in your ear telling you, if only, if this person would only do that for me, or if this person would change, or if that. And, and I'm getting ready to just give up and call it because nobody's changing and and I feel like I, I'm, I'm working so hard, I'm doing so much, and no one sees it from my point of view, and nobody sees my perspective, and nobody understands what I'm going through. There is one. For we have a high priest named Jesus who could empathize with our struggle, for he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. So come boldly to the throne room of grace so that you could obtain mercy in your moment of need. Don't call it right now. 
press on. I'm telling you, there is so much joy that God is going to bestow upon you in this process. And there's a testimony that other people need to hear that God is building through what you're going through right now. Stay in the process. Don't call it. Don't give up. If you got to come back a few steps, that's okay because God has something he wants to give you. Just say, say this with me and then we're going to begin to worship. Death has no power. The veil has been torn. God's presence is with me. In this storm, in my car, in my home, my home is a house of peace. My mind is a house of peace. Worry be gone. Confidence come back. Brokenness be gone. Restoration come. Restoration come. In the name of Jesus, my mind is being restored. It is being healed. In the name of Jesus, there's power in that name. I hope that sermon really blessed and encouraged you. And if it did, and you want to support our ministry so we can help these sermons get out to more people, please go to the giving link in the description button below this video. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can get instant updates when we upload new sermons and testimonies. God bless.